0: Hi, you're listening to Local Legends, the podcast that explores the history of Randwick City through the recollections of the locals who know and love the area. I'm Gillian Lewis and with me is Patricia Amplett, who you might know as Little Patty. Patty rose to fame as a teenager in the 1960s with her debut single, He's My Blonde-Headed, Stompy, Wompy, Real Gone, Surfer Boy. And Patricia's here today to talk to us about her life and recollections of the <laughs> eastern suburbs.
1: That's Thank right. You. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I love talking about this area. Because it it means a lot to me, you know, when you grow up. I didn't actually live here, but I feel like I did because I spent all my studying time here with girlfriends who lived in the area when we were in high school. And certainly just about every weekend at one of the beaches, usually Bronte or Marubra. So I feel like I'm well and truly a local.
0: Yeah. So why don't we start with those basics? So, So where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Mascot and then East Lakes. Yeah. So I considered that our local beach was Maroubra. But prior to that, someone must have had a car. I think my brother's mates might have had cars and we went to Bronte before Maroubra. But um, loved both beaches. Koji was a bit too tame, we thought. Not enough surfing. Not enough surf.
0: Yeah. Still the same. (laughs) It it would be. (laughs) And so what are your memories like of your childhood years and hanging out at the beach?
1: I have great memories of hanging out at the beach. They were pretty simple. They didn't last too long because I was too young to be allowed to go to the beach without my parents. So I could go to the beach on the condition that my older brother, who was three years older, looked after me, which is a bit of of a fairy tale, really, because brothers don't really like looking after their younger sisters Mm. but he said he'd look after me and I said he did. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think he did but uh, we didn't get up to any trouble we just he stayed with his mates and they surfed and went out on their boards and had the best time and we girls it's very much girls boys we girls in our extremely small bikinis um little triangles, I'm saying we were 13 and 14 years old, so yeah. we weren't exactly, we weren't terribly attractive, I don't think, but we were wishing we were, and we were wishing that we were attractive enough for boys to come and say hello to us. It really happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just a lot of dreaming. Well,
1: actually it did. They would come up, you'd be horrified at this, especially if you're a feminist like I am, They used to come up and say, what are you doing? You're going to go to the shop for us and get us some lunch. And we did. Pathetic, huh? Times have changed. Times have changed. But just lying on the beach covered in a concoction of vinegar. No. Coconut oil and vinegar Mm -hmm. that was supposedly going to make us lovely golden tanned young women it didn't work i usually had blisters maybe that kept the boys away i don't know (laughs) but covered in all that stuff and giggling for several hours on saturdays and sundays we thought we'd died and gone to heaven yeah simple beautiful um we thought the food was great at the shops
0: what would you what do you remember chips (laughs)
1: coca-cola yeah hot chips coca-cola if we had enough money maybe a hamburger Mm -hmm. Um,
0: But usually we didn't. So chips and Coca-Cola, staple diet. (laughs) And tell us about um, the talent show you were in in Maroubra.
1: Oh, gosh. Actually, it began at Bronte. Okay. And um, we were all at Maroubra one day and we heard a rumour spread, which turned out to be true, that the very next day, which was Sunday, there was going to be a stomp dance held at Bronte Surf Club and at two o'clock. Now I was just 14 and my brother of course had heard about it and I asked mum that evening if I could go. She said, oh, I don't know. Have you done all your homework? (laughs) And I said, yeah, which I had. She said, well, only if your brother looks after you, which explained that myth (laughs) he looked after me kind of somehow I think as I said my brother's mates we got to Bronte and indeed the stomp dance began and it was the best there was a live band they were very loud they were called the Statesmen, and they were wonderful they played all the latest surf music Mm -hmm. and we danced and the dance we danced was the stomp and I honestly don't remember knowing about the stomp being in the United States. I, I'm going to say that we created the stomp. Mm. I really think we did. Yeah, we began the stomp and it was really good. We were just kids, no girlfriend boyfriend stuff. We just wanted to move and dance to this live band, and so that that's how the stomp began. You didn't need a partner. No. Just got up and danced in a group, and that very first day there was a man called Paul Graham. He was the entrepreneur who began the dance and he announced on the microphone that there would be a talent quest. And, you know, so what, really? Except that it was a secret between my family and my best friend, Marilyn, that I had actually been having piano lessons and singing lessons. He didn't, I didn't tell my friends that mm. apart from her because was considered uncool. You know? right. No one wanted to be different. I just wanted to be like everybody else who didn't have lessons. And she told everybody, oh, Patricia can sing, she even has lessons. So it was in a matter of seconds that I had to decide whether to actually sing, and I didn't want to, or whether to run away or somehow get out of it, you know, singing. But I chose the former. I'll sing. It's over and done with. That's it. Mm -hmm. And my friends literally carried me to the stage.
0: You were nervous.
1: Nervous. I didn't want to know about it. I was very reluctant. Learning music was a lovely hobby and I loved music and I loved my lessons. I liked playing piano and I liked singing. But public, singing public, oh no, I was rather shy. Yeah. Anyway, I did sing. And um, then my, What did you sing? I sang a song called Easier Said The Ton. Yeah. Which was a hit at the time by a group called The Essex.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it went over really well, this, you know, thunderous applause. And um thought, wow. But I wanted to get off and saying more and more. And so I sang a song called Surfer Joe, which is a horrible song, but (laughs) they loved that too. And then I won the talent quest, but the reason I won the talent quest was because no one else entered. That's the truth. So so began my career, little did I know. uh, The next week, someone had alerted a talent scout at EMI Records that there was this, you know, bit of a cute little kid that could sing Mm -hmm. and, and she might even sing next week at Bronte Surf Club and the talent scout arrived and he asked me if I wanted to audition at EMI Records and I can remember my answer so clearly. I politely said, no, thank you. I'm going to be a doctor. And he went, oh, and he came back for three weeks in a row and finally I told my parents and my parents and my singing teacher who was over the moon, she said, oh, you should go and audition. So I did. And one day after school in my uniform, which was (laughs) almost a local school, Sydney Girls High, brown and gold uniform. And um,
0: then they offered
1: me a contract which, you know, my mum and dad going, contract? I had no idea what it meant. Yeah. Nor did they, but they sought advice during the week and uh, within a few weeks I had that first record out, which was He's My Blonde Headed Stompy Wompy Real Gone Surfer Boy. By which time, by the way, Bronte was very short-lived. The powers that be that ran the surf club after two weeks, they said, no more dancers you're ruining our floorboards of the surf club which may or may not have been true but we were transported to uh, back to Marubra, Marubra surf club which was our our beach yeah. and uh, the beach we really loved and that talent scout followed me for several weeks there and uh, the other side of that record was stomping at Marubra. Yeah. Might have been stomping at Bronte. Yeah.
0: So it all happened very quickly, it sounds like. Very
1: quickly. I stayed at school, but um, that was in November 1963. Yeah. Aged 14. And in my... uh, Early in the term, I think, I'm not quite sure when, in 1964, Mm -hmm. I... Look, things happened so quickly. I had a hit record climbing the charts. I was touring Australia. I was on television just about every week. Um, You know, things... and, And it was mooted that it might be a good idea if I left school for a while. Yeah. And followed this crazy little career that had begun and come back to school again later. Well, I never went back to school. And... My career never stopped, so, yeah.
0: And yet now you find yourself at schools teaching. And now,
1: as well as performing, I teach in schools and I love every minute of it.
0: Yeah.
1: I do. I've been teaching at a place in this area called the Stars Talent School for many, Mm -hmm. many years. And um, I just love every minute of that. And I've done some teaching at Randwick Girls High.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've... um, Well, just little classes at Randwick, not on an ongoing way. I'd love to, but I would never really had enough time. But I've taught at both state schools and private schools and love it all.
0: Beautiful. Um, Tell us a little bit about beach culture down at Maroubra in the 60s and especially during the Vietnam War. What were people, what was the mood like? Do you
1: know, at at age 14, I would have, I had kind of left the beach by the time I was 15, sadly, because I had a career and I couldn't go to the beach anymore, which saddened me and lost track of, not deliberately, but as you do, I lost track of many of my close mates. And, you know, I had this new life. But whilst I was there at the beach, the culture, as I said it was very simple the girls lie on the beach trying to get brown hoping the boys would talk to them mm. and the boys rode the waves not much more than that happened mm. and I think we were probably quite innocent we had heard that there was a bunch of boys called the bra boys mm. but I didn't know any of them and we're all a bit too young really um, But, of course, I think that was generational too. That continued a couple of generations, maybe still exists, I don't know. But um, that was a very simple culture, simple. uh, And what I still love about Marubra is that when I go there, which isn't very often, but it it doesn't change. You know, there's a, a lovely place to eat on the beach now. But there are still the same milk bars, the same surf sheds, the same, it's, I reckon it's still a bit of a secret, Maroubra, yeah. you know, hasn't been too trendied, trendied up like the other beaches. Yeah. I, I think it's lovely.
0: And uh, what about the live music scene at the time around here? Were you involved in that? I mean, you were performing. But...
1: Yeah, as a performer, of course, I was involved in the live music, but there were, other beach dances that began, and I sang at those too. And then stomp dances were all over Sydney, you know, in the city, yeah. at in the, in Kings Cross, Whiskey A Go Go, all those places had stomp dances. Yeah. So it was quite a craze for not too long a time. See, I was too young to go to hotels, nor would I really wanted to go to them. But I know from my brother and his mates that Coogee Bay (laughs) Hotel and possibly a, a somewhere at Bronte and Bondi there were pubs that had live music and but unless I was there performing I I didn't go
0: you were too young yeah too young yeah and what about your friendships as you grew older there in the music industry I've heard about some connections with John Farnham and Billy Thorpe Yes, tell us a bit about that
1: Surf City was in King's Cross in William Street Mm -hmm. and I made a lifelong friend Um, the first time I performed there. I would have been perhaps 14 maybe just 15 and my mother accompanied me of course to the gig to the show and I remember walking in and being sneaked or snuck backstage and I, I remember seeing what I thought were thousands of people, probably several hundred people. And I thought, wow, well, I got scared, you know, it was a big show. And one of my first big shows, yeah. my mum left me in the dressing room and, and then said, I'll be waiting outside for you. And I had, I was pretty organised and professional, even though I hadn't been around for very long, I knew that I needed to have all my music in order mm-hmm. for the musicians or certainly my song lists and I needed to have a nice outfit (laughs) and so I prepared and then sat in a corner in the dressing room whilst the band was playing and they were very good was Billy Thorpe's Aztecs. Wow. And uh, Billy came in and introduced me to the musicians, hello, 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 gave my music out and then they went on stage to set up for show and I remember Billy Thorpe said, Listen here, Amphlet, called me by my surname, I don't know why. What are you scared about? I said, I and I wouldn't have even got an answer out. He said, Listen, love, these all these people here are to see you. And you're they're gonna love you. And um uh, and I'm going, why would they love me? Well, I don't know, I don't know. And he said, come on, get on Amphlet and go out and get on top of those bastards. They'll love you. It was really fantastic, you know. And I mean, I'd heard that language before, you know. And so the language didn't shock me. But his his aggressive affection is the only way I can uh, call it. (laughs) He was being affectionate and helpful and supportive in a very aggressive way. And it made me straighten my back and I did go out and win those bastards, you know. And um, so every time I saw him, then we were always such lovely, great friends. And uh, culminating in many, many years later, uh, I think 2003 was the first big tour of a show called Long Way to the Top. Mm -hmm. And uh, which was Thorpe, Billy's baby in a way. It was his idea that a whole lot of us, us silly old people, would get together and and, and unite and do a show. Yeah. And it was just great to spend every every day and every night in the company of those people, especially Billy, yeah. who'd been such a good mate and so supportive.
0: And um, was there a connection there with John Farnham as well? Was he in that oh, tour? Or?
1: He wasn't on that tour, but we're still good mates. Yeah, John and I are just... We're the same age. We look alike, like brother and sister, really. Yep. And uh, he's lovely. Last time I spoke to him, he was on his horse. He breeds quarter horses oh, wow. in Country Victoria and loves it. Mm. I think he loves it as much as he loves performing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So he's got a terrific outlet. He's a gorgeous man.
0: Hi, this is Gillian Lewis. You're listening to a Randwick Local Legends podcast. And with me today is little Patty. Tell us a bit about, you performed in Vietnam.
1: I did, I was only the second concert party or part of the second concert party that the government of Australia sent to Vietnam.
0: And how old were you at the time?
1: 17 I was, and the youngest performer to go to Vietnam. Mm. Um, How did your parents (laughs)
0: feel about that?
1: My mum, look, we didn't know much about Vietnam. It was- Far away. Well, it was far away, but it, it was also not uh, talked about. Well, the graphic images and the truth about Vietnam had not reached our newspapers or our television. Mm. Um, it was thought of as a bit of a conflict. Not yeah. it wasn't thought of in those days as serious as, as it actually was. Mm. However, my father was totally against the idea of me going a man from the Defense Department had phoned and my mum had taken the call. Mm-hmm. He went bananas, he didn't want me to go. You know, no girl of mine's going. And he, he must have known more about Vietnam than we did. And he said, no, that's, that's actually a war and you're not going. And um, it's a war that has nothing to do with Australia. It's not our war, it's somebody else's. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't mind our own business. Um, and this mantra of his went on for a long while. Mum, meanwhile, thought differently. She thought it must be an honour for Patricia, me, to have been asked by the government to go. And with great assurances of my safety, that I would be well looked after, that i have three meals a day, mm-hmm. plenty of sleep, that I'd be treated wonderfully and I was by the way I was treated exceptionally well as we all were and eventually my dad gave me his blessing and uh, he said you can go but you've got to go into the Mitchell Library and get some books about Vietnam so you know what it's like and I did go to the library but most books were about Indochina which is Vietnam but Mm. um, there wasn't even much I could read about Vietnam increasingly um, after my trip to Vietnam which was kind of life-changing that's when uh, it it was at the end of 66, 67 I went in 1966 that the dreadful images of what was really going on in Vietnam were on television every day in our lounge room Mm. and uh, it was pretty awful but my trip there was oh wow changed my life considerably Mm. it made me think I mean I think I had a great upbringing in as much as I had parents who taught me to think of other people and you know not to be selfish etc but I was probably a typical young person and selfish (laughs) probably but when I went there, uh, I came back different. I, I One little thing really stuck in my mind mm. and it still does, it doesn't upset me anymore but I used to say to my mother not every day but often enough to annoy her or upset her. I was pretty studious at school, I loved school mm. and when I left school I loved reading and I loved writing Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a desk you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I shared a room with my Nana which had Mm. wonderful things about sharing with nanas. that was terrific but it meant that I couldn't I had no privacy to do what I wanted to do mum when can I get a desk we can't afford one and this went on for a long time and when I went to Vietnam I saw every day kids my age and younger sitting in the gutter doing their homework and i never asked for a desk again you know yeah so little things like that changed me and made me realize that so what i didn't have a desk but i had a pretty good life you know Mm. Uh, i never had to worry about much at all whereas these kids were in the middle of a war and would no doubt, some of them would go on to become their doctors, their lawyers, their leaders, despite their, their poverty and, mm. and their hardships. So yeah, I changed. And I also became a big pacifist. I was really um, against war because I saw some awful things mm. and um, saw the faces of the people who were going out to fight that night, the South Vietnamese along with our fabulous soldiers. And it just all clicked and then made sense to me what this war was about or Mm. not about. And I think we were fed a lot of garbage in Australia about the reasons we were in Vietnam. Mm. So I did come back a different person, kind of grown up, How long
0: were you there for?
1: Weeks, only weeks and it had a profound effect on me. Mm. And uh, yet the positives are very positive, Mm. Um, made me think, opened up my mind. Hopefully it opened up my heart and made, I made so many great friends, you know, Vietnam veterans and their families still. Mm. So, you know. Yeah. Unusual way to grow up, but
0: yeah, it was good. And when you came back, what were you doing at the time then?
1: I went straight back to performing in Australia, mm. and um,
0: in the city, in the eastern suburbs. As well. In the
1: eastern suburbs was quite a, a mecca for live performance mm. by that time, in the in the sixties to the seventies. All sorts of venues had opened all over the place. Yeah. Um, I was working. All of the suburbs around here and I don't know I think eastern suburbs people are <laughs> party people I was doing lots of private parties in this area mm-hmm. uh, people celebrating anniversaries birthday parties they deliberately have surf parties at the beach um, so I kind of never left the area really
0: yeah yeah Lots of performing and stomping and singing. Performing, stomping,
1: yeah. It was good though because I could wear jeans and T-shirts when I did that. I didn't have to dress up.
0: Perfect. And what about um, going to school? Did you, in the area, I know you finished when you were 15. Mm. Um, Did you have any influential teachers there or? I had. Music teachers? (laughs) Ah.
1: Miss Bobroff was my music teacher. Miss Wayne, Doreen Wayne was my headmistress. And I loved her and I liked Miss Moore. She scared me a bit, but I really liked her. Mrs Sherman was my teacher and I loved her. I was scared of her too. Yeah. Um, you know how you're scared of them?
0: Yeah. make scared. Them,
1: yeah. Oh, with respect. Yes. And, um, and it's, of course, we're all the same. It wasn't for several years that I realised what fantastic teachers they were, what great women they were, how they um, they inspired us mm. and Mrs Forsyth, Miss West, Mrs Common, they, yeah, they inspired us and made us good women, I yeah. think, <laughs> good young women.
0: Yeah. Do you still Very have happy. a lot of music in the house? Oh
1: music from dawn till dusk or and beyond yeah. yeah we have music all the time in our house I mean it's just our language really mm. and it's good because I was brought up with classical music on piano yeah. and some contemporary and I sang mostly contemporary music during my lessons yeah. um, and then I went on to sing a lot of rock and roll, which I love still. And some. then I thought I got a bit game and started singing some of my parents' music mm-hmm. from the 40s and earlier than that and standards as we call them. Yeah. And then once I met Laurie and got to know the music that he had grown up with, not that he was old enough to grow up with older music, but he appreciated much older music that I ended up with a really broad um, love of music so yeah music's
0: always there it's
1: the language mm.
0: talk to me about some of your most the accomplishments that make you the most proud mm. bit of bragging we need mm, don't <laughs> people don't like to brag but
1: no I don't like to brag either
0: um <laughs> when you look back and think i I guess Vietnam yeah, uh, Vietnam, I don't
1: brag about it because lots of people went yeah. to Vietnam but I'm pleased that, I, I'm i so pleased I went there yeah. and have been back many times and I've taken groups of Vietnam veterans and their wives and families. I've okay. hosted their tours oh. and I've loved that. I've, what am I really, mm, Oh, yeah, I know what I'm really proud of. I went into a garden shop, a nursery one day, and I wanted to have yellow flowers in my garden. Mm-hmm. And I looked at all the yellow flowers. And there was a a, a yellow ball-type dahlia called the little patty dahlia. Uh. And, I, and I wanted to buy it, but I didn't want to go to the counter with the seeds and be made a fuss of
0: right
1: so I went back later sort of a bit disguised <laughs> and bought some and I was really I thought oh wow beautiful little yellow flower um what was the other one
0: having a flower named after you yeah, yeah. pretty special yeah, yeah. Oh, look, <laughs> lots of people know. would have little patties growing in their yard
1: I don't know what I'm proud of you know you get a buzz out of different things I liked Australia Post in 1998 oh, right. yes. released a, a series of stamps 12 stamps and they were called early rock and roll years I think yeah and I was the only female represented Amazing. which I thought was a bit unfair because there were many great much better than me female singers but um I I was given the mantle of Sort of representing them mm. and that felt good too.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah.
1: But proud, no. oh, look, I get proud of some of my students, you know, when they yeah. do really well and when they improve and when they enjoy what they're doing and watching them grow as people, yeah. not just as young performers. Um, yeah, I love to watch them grow up and... and be lovely.
0: Times have changed and that's something I did want to ask you about. Yeah. What what's your feeling about beach culture now versus back then? I don't know much about beach yeah. culture. Um, still I still say <laughs>
1: that yeah, they're still doing all the same things. Yeah. I must say now armed with the knowledge about skin cancer. Mm. Yes. I'm pretty horrified when I see I drive past a beach and there are all these gorgeous young women Wanting to get brown, just like I did, but I didn't know about yeah. all the bad things about the sun. But they still want to get brown, don't they? Yeah. They want to get a suntan and maybe they want a boy to come and say hello to them too.
0: Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so a lot of the in, same stuff happening. In a
1: nutshell, probably nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah. It's hot, you go to the beach, you giggle, you laugh, you gossip.
0: You buy some chips.
1: And it's the best day ever. <laughs> yeah. Away from your school books.
0: Yeah.
1: And I loved school, you know, mm. but it was so carefree, innocent. Yeah, best times.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. Well, thank you for talking to us today. <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you here. My pleasure. Um, and I'm we back really home. Have, yeah. Hearing all of your recollections of the beach time and really defined a little bit of you and the where you started out living in this area.